We believe the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is a restoration of the original Church established by Jesus Christ, which was built upon the foundation of apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. We declare to the world that the fullness of the gospel has been restored to the earth. We declare with boldness that the keys of the priesthood have been restored to man. We declare to the world that this is the day referred to by biblical prophets as the latter days. It is the final time before the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ to rule and reign on the earth. We haven't had a guest in a long time. We haven't had one since probably when? November? It's kind of funny because this week we're talking about Joseph Knight Sr. And your name is Joseph Knight. And I promise that's not the only reason <laughs> that we asked you to do it. It is one reason just because I thought, well, you know, if there's ever a time, <laughs> right. then this is it. But uh, we've been wanting to get you on for a long time. I mentioned it to you, I think, back before we even really got started. And yeah. um, But I'm glad that we have you here. And that we can talk about this stuff because I think priesthood restoration, man, this is a really awesome lesson. So, so yeah, section 12, it's a revelation given to Joseph Knight Sr. So who was this guy and why did he get this revelation? I, I'd heard of Joseph Knight and I didn't really ever think of him like to study him that much. So I had to kind of read a little bit about him to know who, why did this guy matter in church history? And gosh, I, I think he mattered quite a bit, especially early on. Uh, he was a pretty prominent landowner, and he helped out Joseph Smith and his family several times uh, with provisions and even with some financial help on some occasions, especially through hard winter and stuff like that. He provided them supplies and stuff like that for the translation. So in this section, I think he really just wanted to know, like, okay, I've been helping out for a while. Like, what am I supposed to actually be doing? You know, like, what does the Lord want from me? But I don't know. What do, what do you guys think about Joseph Knight? Uh, well, kind of along the same lines uh, as you, Daniel. Um, just a good a good friend to end up being a good friend to Joseph Smith and, and his family. Uh, also, I was reading it. I think it was like meant to be that they both needed each other mutually, right? Like Joseph Smith needed somebody to hear him out, right? Somebody to talk to, someone to, to hear this crazy story that happened to him and, and to believe him, right? And I think Joseph Knight uh, needed some something more in life, right? Some, he knew there was more, and, and I think they were obviously meant to, meant to meet each other. And, and I think it, it goes to show the kind of character Joseph Smith had, because he was hired as a, a laborer, right? So to labor on his land and uh just went to work right was a hard worker and, and humble, humbled himself and, and worked the land and i think that gave joseph knight reason to listen to him right like if, if if joseph smith came and and had a had a bad attitude or just thought he was above the work because of what he went through i don't think joseph knight would have listened or or would have cared you know so yeah it kind of speaks to like when when we want to have support from others it doesn't start the moment that you need help it starts long before that what kind of character do you exhibit on a daily basis that's going to make someone want to help you or support you in your endeavors when it matters most? Yeah. And yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I like this little part in the background I found about Joseph Knight. It mentions um, 
in history of the church, it says, I would mention here, as in duty bound, that he several times brought us supplies, a distance of at least 30 miles, which enabled us to continue to work when otherwise we must have relinquished it for a season. And so I think he was an instrumental help in the translation of the work in helping bring them supplies. And you can tell that that he was a true friend to the prophet, you know, and and it's funny because I, I often think when we think about the translation, we, we always think Martin Harris, Oliver Cowdery, how much they did. But there were other individuals like Joseph Knight who helped in other ways. And I think that's a good um, comparison to us. Sometimes we may not be the individual kind of in the in the spotlight when something someone needs help or or the word is trying to do something. I don't know. But there's many ways of helping and they're all equally meaningful and needed. Yeah, I, I also think that this I mean, there's nothing in this section that's really incredibly amazing. There's actually it's actually very similar to a lot of other sections, right? There's a marvelous work about to come forth. Field is white, all ready to harvest. Anybody who's willing to participate, you're called to the work. And I think that's kind of a good thing because if this was a time, if Joseph Smith was in it for a grift, if he just wanted to cheat people out of something, this would have been a perfect time to turn to Joseph Knight and be like, oh, you're going to be a leader. You're going to be the prophet's right-hand man. The more money you donate or the more you support, you can enter a silver level tier member of our church, you know, like this is like, this would have been a perfect opportunity for him to take advantage of the willingness of Joseph Knight. And instead he's basically like, look, everyone is called to this. And even in, I can't remember which verse it is, but he says, behold, I speak unto you and also to all those who have desires to bring forth and establish this work. So he is speaking to Joseph Knight about this stuff, but he's also saying, Hey, this applies to everybody. And I think Joseph Knight probably could have come out of that saying, oh, I didn't really get anything just for me. But I don't, I think he was probably faithful enough to, to hear that and say, okay, I know now what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm supposed to just be contributing as I am in any way that I can. That maybe there's no specific task. I'm not supposed to, you know, carry the plates for Joseph or anything like that. But I do have a responsibility that every person has, and I need to continue to fulfill that. Um, he didn't get any special perks promised, but to me that's significant because this wasn't like a pay-for-play thing. This was basically you're just like everybody else. You you belong, and we need you. I think also <laughs> 99% of us are asked, I don't mean this negatively or, or, or bad in any way, are just asked to be normal members. Yeah. Just do your duty, keep your covenants, help where you can. Not all of us are Aaron and Moses in the middle of the Red Sea, right? But the blessings are the same, and the Lord knows us. And that's one of the fascinating things about the Doctrine and Covenants. In these next few sections, there's going to be many individuals that will go to Joseph and say, what about me? What does the Lord think about me? What does he want me to do? And I like verse 8 because it kind of sets a pattern. Whenever someone is interested in what does the Lord want me to do? How can I help? How can I help the, the work move forward? And in verse 8, it says, and, and no one can assist in this work 
except he shall be humble and full of love, having faith, hope, and charity, being temperate in all things, whatsoever shall be entrusted to his care. And it's funny because oftentimes we, it seems like they, we go to the Lord for, how can I help? And we think, all right, I need you to go down I-15, take a left, you're going to see a building, go to the third, no, it's more introspective. Like, hey, can you be humble? Can you be full of love? Can you learn how to be temperate? Which is something everyone in every situation and status in their life can work on. Definitely. Then in, in section 13, this is like super short. It's only one one verse. But we get a little bit more from Joseph Smith history, and we also get a little bit more from at the end of the Joseph Smith history, the account by Oliver Cowdery kind of giving us details into what happens. And essentially, they're reading as they're translating, and they come up, they come across baptism several times. And there's like probably some questions about what's the right way we should be doing this, and what is baptism about? I mean, obviously, they mention in the Book of Mormon that there's specific ways to do things. We should probably ask some questions about this. And so they go off to ask the question, what should we do about baptism? And it's kind of like they didn't even know what door they were opening, you know? <laughs> they probably just wanted to be told, hey, here's how you baptize people. And instead, they got the Aaronic priesthood. Whoa. And uh, John the Baptist appears to them, and he he gives them, he confers upon them the, the Aaronic priesthood and tells them, you know, this is what the Aaronic priesthood is for, for the ministering of angels, for the gospel of repentance and for baptism. And then he tells them to go baptize each other. And they baptize each other and then they ordain each other to the Aaronic priesthood. And one of my questions was always like, how does that work? How could Oliver Cowdery give Joseph Smith the priesthood if that he didn't, he hadn't been ordained to. And then Joseph Smith could then turn around and give him something that he had just gotten from him. Like, it's like a chicken and the egg thing, you know, like, <laughs> How is that possible? And really what it came down to is that John the Baptist conferred the priesthood keys on them. He did not ordain them to the priesthood. He conferred. And confer is a word that means bestow as a gift or permanent possession. So he kind of gave them, here's the priesthood. It's like handing someone a tool that they don't know how to use, that they haven't been trained to use. But here's, here's the tool. And then they ordained one another with those keys. And ordain comes from Latin ordinare, which means to put in order, arrange, dispose, or appoint. So they, they got new permission, right, to use that tool that they had received. And so it seems like that's not possible to give somebody something you haven't really received yet. But that was it, that John the Baptist had given them. Here's the keys to this priesthood that you can carry out. Here's the things you need to do in order to use it. And then they went and carried that out. They were baptized and then they were ordained. It's kind of interesting, though, that it was done that way. Because I, I would, my first thought was, why didn't John the Baptist just ordain them? You know, like, why couldn't he have just skipped that step? But they hadn't been baptized yet. And it's clear that our God is a God of order. There's a certain way to do things. And you can't just figure it out and say, oh, we'll do it this way this time. And then from here on out, we'll change it. He wanted to establish that order from the beginning. Yeah, and you see that with like how uh, Jesus was baptized, right? Like it was a very specific order on how that was. And it's not like he had to be or needed to be or whatever, but 
but he sets the example for all of us on how to be baptized and how we get the Holy Ghost and, and things like that. So yeah, to your point, it's exactly a, a, a gospel or a church of order and, and, and it has to be that way. Yeah, and it's very similar, their experience to what Christ went through when he was baptized mm -hmm. too. As soon as they were baptized, they came out of the water and they felt the Holy Ghost. And even though they didn't have the priesthood to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost or to give that gift of the Holy Ghost yet, um, they were still able to feel that and experience that and even make, you know, prophecies based on that inspiration that they got. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I the way I think about it is it's his priesthood. It's the Lord's priesthood. And it there they are his covenants. And what he asks us to do is the right thing. We do things a certain way. There's a difference between ordinances and practices. For example, when they were doing temple baptisms for the dead in the river, you know, the early saints, and the Lord kind of said, hey, you need to do this inside a temple. I'll let these count, but from now on, you <laughs> need to do them inside a temple. You know, there, there's examples of that. I, I, I don't know. I just think the Doctrine and Covenants is kind of like the Lord's manual to help the saints know how to do the covenants, how to maintain order, how to have councils, how to, you know, all of these very, very important practical things most of the time on how to lay the foundation for the church so then it can have this exponential growth that keeps being promised throughout the world. How can that growth occur? I think the Lord is very aware of how easy we are to change things and to tweak things a little bit and 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 so he he's just laying the foundation of work of the order by which things need to be done something i thought it was interesting and maybe this should have hit my mind a long time ago <laughs> but it's funny how often they're they are in the book of mormon in the scriptures reading and that leads them to new revelation to questions and it's often it's 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 almost as if the Lord waits for you to formulate or get to the correct question mm -hmm. to then teach you. And it's kind of like a really cool balance between like teacher and student. The teacher allowing the student to uh, almost cultivate their curiosity to the point where okay now you're ready to learn this. It's not so much him holding back information. And it's also not him giving too much information that they can't work with. It's it's like a really thoughtful, per, good balance of when the when the student is ready, you know, the teacher is ready as well. Well, and it shows that it takes a little bit of initiative and work from uh, from us that we can't just say, "He said, knock and it, you shall, you know, it shall be opened unto you, asking you shall receive." So I'm just going to ask, and he'll tell me. Well, that is true, but. You need to be doing something in in the meantime to kind of be seeking out those answers. And if they had just said, "Well, we don't know anything about the gospel to restore it, so we'll just wait till we we receive revelation and know what to do." Later on in the in the Doctrine and Covenants, we hear that we should be anxiously engaged in a good cause. And part of that was, you know, as we're translating, as we're doing this endeavor, which is completely separate, like you said, we're running across things that we're like, "Wait, what is this?" And that encourages us to ask other questions and it happens to us too right the more we read the more we study the more we're like 
huh, I never thought of that before. And maybe that's that could be an answer to something I'm thinking about in the last few days. Maybe I should pray about this and I'll get further further knowledge about it. In verse 74 of the Joseph Smith history section, it says something really interesting there that I'd never really noticed before. It says, our minds being now enlightened, we began to have the scriptures laid open to our understandings and the true meaning and intention of their more mysterious passages revealed unto us in a manner which we never could attain previously, could attain to previously, nor ever before had thought of. So after being baptized and receiving the priesthood, they started having a, an understanding of the scriptures that they had never anticipated before. And I don't remember experiencing that right after my baptism or right after being ordained a deacon. I think I was maybe less prepared in my maturity than them. <laughs> um, but I do remember experiencing that somewhat after getting the Melchizedek priesthood. And it wasn't necessarily getting the priesthood itself that made that possible, but I think it was the Holy Ghost helping me understand what was necessary for me to fulfill those priesthood responsibilities, especially serving a mission, which was the reason why I was getting the Melchizedek priesthood. I was ordained to an elder to go serve a mission. I don't think it's limited to this experience of, of getting greater understanding, that the scriptures be laid open to your understanding. I don't think that's limited to priesthood holders. I think women certainly can get this experience as well. Um, I think what it is, is when you are prepared spiritually, or when you do something like going to the temple, when you have your eyes open to new things, you suddenly look at things you've already read before with new eyes. Yeah, and I also I also think like when we um, when we're willing to take on more responsibility or or like a new role or something like that, um, I think the Lord will provide us answers or or comfort or whatever we're looking for. You know what I mean? When we when we kind of put ourselves out there, right? When we get out of our comfort zone or or do something like that, I think. I think he really will uh, bless us and, and show us, you know, maybe, maybe like you said, the, the scripture that never really stood up to me before now all of a sudden is what I need to hear. Right. So, yeah, I think it's very interesting. Yeah. And it's in, in terms of even stuff like ministering, when you get a new person assigned to you or something like that, there may be something that you come across in, in, in reading or in just listening to a talk or something that suddenly the spirit's like, Hey, listen, listen to this part. You know, and you're like, hey, that guy's going through this thing and maybe this might help. Or when you have a life change, like you get married or you have a child or something like that, you start school, your context in your life is different. It's changed. And so when you go back and read something, that's why continually reading the scriptures, we're told to, we, we're told to do that all the time. Because every time we do it, our context is a little bit different and there's new things we can learn. I like um, I like how in the Doctrine and Covenants, off there there are times when when things are I don't know it's like a different form of symbolism. Oftentimes you'll hear priesthood and power, in virtue and light, and knowledge, kind of all of these these related words that you know the true power is pure knowledge, and I think about if if priesthood is knowledge as opposed to power and and also you know the right in order what knowledge is conferred upon us 
and it's almost like the true order of things is, is, is given. And I, it's oftentimes hard to take it for granted when you have been surrounded by it and affected and grew up in it. But then you go, for example, for me, when I go on my mission, when I went on my mission, when I go, I'm like, I'm leaving. When I went on my mission, when I talk to individuals and, and we share something as simple as agency, the principle of agency, the principle of being, having influences, like there, there's a Satan and, and there's a God. But, but the power is in you to choose. And, and there's false ideas out there. The people like they'll either cling to towards like predestination, like like I'm predetermined already. Things that kind of steal you of your agency and, and little things like that. And and I look at the gospel and I remember when I went through the temple, I was prepared to be to see something that was gonna freak me out because I just heard, oh, people are so confused and and it's okay to be confused and and it's okay. <laughs> to think it's weird but over time you'll understand and i looked at it and i went through it and i was like that's it that made sense like <laughs> um that was just like the plan of salvation we just had a plan of salvation like discussion and i don't know i what i'm trying to say is is as we continuously think about these things we should be careful not to discredit the power of these simple principles and not just the principles themselves but the gospel of christ puts them in the correct order so then when we can view life and we can view our experiences through the correct perspective of the gospel which christ's perspective and principles always lead to an individual feeling empowered where i've noticed that satan's mix of principles and and doctrines of men tend to leave people to feel victimized and in you know not empowered well, and dependent on someone else right like he wants you to feel like you can't do anything on your own you have to rely on him and the lord is the opposite the lord says i want you to do everything you possibly can and you're you're a lot stronger than you think you are and in those instances when you cannot handle anymore then i'm gonna step in but it, you can do a lot just from your own initiative and from your guidance from the Holy Ghost. Yeah, I like that. There's a couple cool things in the. I mean, it's a very it's a verse. <laughs> <laughs> but one we learned that um, the lesser priesthood is also called the priesthood of Aaron or the Aaronic priesthood. We also <clears> learned <throat> a little bit about ministering angels that it holds the the keys to the ministering of angels. Then there's a, a section about the sons of Levi, mm -hmm. that uh, this priesthood won't be taken away until they offer, make an offering in righteousness. And I often think about that because I, I wonder, who's that written for? Is it a fulfillment for them? Is it promises made to Israel? And through them, all their descendants in the Abrahamic covenant, all the way to us, which matters. But I think what I've come to, I don't know, where I come to rest on these things, it's, it's the Lord is saying, you're in, like now in the dispensation of the fullness of time, one thing is we don't have to fear um, like an apostasy in a dark age coming again. 
that we're going that the gospel is restored and it's going to be restored to its completion where you know as we we study the history of the gospels and, and things like that you'll find that all these dispensations were were great but ultimately failed well not failed but were taken away due to unrighteousness and the comforting thing for me I, that I always think about is especially nowadays when I when I see the world increasingly getting eviler eviler is that a word evil <laughs> and and horrible things happening that that are true and should concern people but also shouldn't cause us despair because the kingdom of God on earth is increasing in its influence well, one thing I liked, one thing I liked in that in that uh, verse when it talked about the ministry of angels, I, re I read that uh, talk by Jeffrey R. Holland, mm. and he he talks about um, how God God understands knows our challenges right in this life, and and it talked and it says in special times God will send angels to bless His children, and then also I think more importantly to reassure or to remind them that heaven is very close. And his help is really near, right? Like, like he's he's not. We're not just abandoned on this earth, you know, to 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 fight for ourselves. But but he holds these this ministry of angels for special for special events, like right, like the restoration of the gospel, you know, things like that, like to remind us that that we are, I mean, that we're not alone, right? And that that he's here to help us and and to give us the best life we can. Yeah, that's really that's really cool because I think a lot of times we we think that. You know, we were sent to earth and this is now our time to prepare to meet God and to prove ourselves. And, you know, there's this tremendous burden you could feel that, well, I have the Holy Ghost, but other than that, I'm on my own now, you know. Uh, but there's been plenty of times when the Lord has uh, shown mercy by sending guidance in that in that way. Um, the other thing I think about the Aaronic Priesthood, I don't know, maybe this is just me, but I think the world would never think to give to give 12 year olds 14 year olds 16 year olds the responsibility over what's probably the most important ordinance that we carry out on a regular basis the sacrament the world would never think hey we're gonna give 18 and 19 year olds the responsibility to go out and represent the lord worldwide to teach his gospel like the world would say no you need more experience you need credentials you need some sort of certif certification, right? That says, you know enough to teach this, you know enough to carry out this ordinance, to act as Christ did. But the, the Lord is very different. And the Lord says, no, you know what? I want a 12-year-old to stand there and pass the sacrament. And that in, in that moment, kind of represent the Savior himself, handing that to his disciples. I think about that almost like, if you give people a great enough cause, they'll rise up to to do it and because I, I think about it the same way i'm like especially when you're out there attracting and <laughs> somebody's like who the heck are you 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 person um and you're like you know what i'm not much but the message i have is much you know it is a lot well and it kind of just proves how how true that message is that we can send immature 18 year olds out there in that it doesn't all fall apart well, because the Lord, the Lord sustains that. It's also, this time around in the Doctrine and Covenants, I don't know, it's all, just study the scriptures for kind of loud. It's so good because I think about, 
pretend you were Joseph, you're Joseph Smith and your, your job is to build, you know, a little village. And that, that's what the Lord has told you. And continuously you have people coming to you. You're just there like doing what you can. And this continuously, a guy comes and says, Hey, you know what, what are you doing? Oh, I'm building a village. Well, I had a feeling that you might need a carpenter. I don't know if you need me, but, but do you need a carpenter? It's like, okay, great. Yeah, yeah, we could use you. And then a couple of days later, somebody else rolls around and it's like, hey, you know what? Do you need a stonemason? Because I, I don't know, I have this extra stone. We were going to throw it away. But I just thought, do you want some of it? Sure, sure, we could use that. And it almost feels like that. Like, I get such a sense that the Lord is doing all the heavy lifting, like almost <laughs> all the time. Not, not to say that we don't do our share compared to, you know, our ability but he's continuously gathering people and they come and it's like, and, and it's a lot like missionary work. You're out there, the field is white, ready to harvest the work. There are individuals out there who are just ready. Your job is just to be faithful and, and find them, you know, find them. I don't know. I just get such a sense of the Lord is so involved in all of these experiences. Joseph Knight coming to him, Will, uh, Wilford, uh, Woodruff, well, um, Oliver Cowdery, you know, uh, all of these individuals, they're like prepared. And we think it's like such a coincidence and blessing, but it's like, <laughs> no, Christ was speaking to them through their experiences, through his, their lives, you know, to get them and bring them to Joseph. And Joseph is there, you know, just building this village away, right? Part of the thing that I found really interesting about Oliver Cowdery's account at the end of the Joseph Smith history section, he's talking about when, when John the Baptist appeared to them. And he says, Then his voice, though mild, pierced to the center, and his words, I am thy fellow servant, dispelled every fear. We listened, we gazed, we admired. Twas the voice of an angel from glory, twas a message from the Most High. And as we heard, we rejoiced while his love enkindled upon our souls and we were wrapped in the vision of the almighty where was the room for doubt nowhere uncertainty had fled doubt had sunk no more to rise while fiction and deception had fled forever the that phrase i am thy fellow servant hearing that from an angel who identifies himself as john the baptist who comes to you and says i am thy fellow servant you would be like oh my gosh you're you're like John the Baptist, you know, and he's like, yeah, I'm one of you. And to, to have them probably realize in that moment, wow, we're, we're really in this. This is a really big deal, what we're doing. Um, I think they, they knew that, but to have John the Baptist come and say, I am thy fellow servant, was really cool. And I think every priesthood holder, and as we learned in section 12, everyone who desires to be called to the work is involved in the same work. You know, to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. We're all in that endeavor. We look at these prophets as these highly elevated people, and they should be revered and respected, no doubt. But at the same time, we need to recognize we're in the same work as they are, or we should be, right? We should be thinking about how am I contributing to the immortality and eternal life of man? And it's simple stuff. It's studying the scriptures so that we know what to say when it's time. It's doing our ministering so that maybe we are contributing to that individual's testimony. You know, it's simple little things like that. We don't have to be restoring the gospel on our own in order to, to be contributing to this work. But as soon as I read that, I was like, man, that must have been a moment for them. You know, 
to have that experience, not only to, to have their question about baptism answered, not only to receive the Aaronic priesthood, but also to be told, hey, you're one of us. You're involved in the, in the work of the Lord. And then as I read that feeling, we are also part of that work. Every single one of us has to think of ourselves as, you know, am I, how am I contributing? What am I doing to be a fellow servant of the prophet, a fellow servant of Christ? Let us be awake and not be wary of well-doing, for we are laying the foundation of a great work, even preparing for the return of the Savior. My dear brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ invites us to take the covenant path back home to our heavenly parents and be with those we love. He invites us to come, follow me.